Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. To another episode of My Independent Report. My name is Kevin McDonald. And uh, before we begin, I'd like to uh, invite everybody that listens and likes this to like it, number one, and then to two, to uh, uh, become a member of our of our little group so that it can grow. And so you need to just uh, subscribe to us and then we'll be on our ways. And it would be great for you to do that if you'd be so kind. We've got a great show for you today. Um, you know, we don't normally do well. We don't do political shows very much, and this is actually, on the face of it, might seem to be a little bit, but it really isn't political. This is more about uh, mental health and what's going on in our country, and this is a subject that I know very, very little about. And so I'm excited that we have uh, Dr. John Cruz. Uh, he's a medical doctor. He's a PhD. He's also um, a clinical psychologist, I believe, or a psycho or a. So, John, what, how would you describe yourself? Psychiatrist is okay. Start. I mean, training in neuro, a PhD in neuroscience research as well. But I've oh. been a practicing psychiatrist for 26 years. Well, I guess that qualifies you as a psychiatrist then. Um, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, tell me, you've written a book. And the book is just out, and it's called Recognizing Adult ADHD, What Donald Trump Can Teach Us About Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. So could you explain to me, because I know I don't know, what exactly deficit or attention deficit hyperactive disorder is? So there's two different basic ways to, def to describe ADHD. Um, we have an official what's called the DSM-5 definition, which is the psychiatric organization's attempt to define carefully each category of mental health problems. And for ADHD, there's nine inattentive symptoms, things like being distracted, things like, um, I'm blanking on my distractedness. And, and then there's nine hyperactive or in a hyperactive or this is really bad. I'm really inattentive to impulsive disorders. So interrupting people, not being able to sit still, fidgeting, being restless. And for an adult, you actually only need five symptoms. You have to um, express them pervasively and across different fields of your life. They can't just be in one setting. So they have to be pervasive, they have to be persistent, and they have to impair your functioning. Now that's sort of our clinical precise definition and why I say we can be sure Donald Trump had, does have it, is that those are all behaviorally defined. It's not shaped in terms of whether we need to know his motivations, his feelings inside of his head or his thoughts, like we actually do need to know for narcissism. And we can just observe, does he interrupt people much more than other people? Is he unable to sit still? Is he unable to have a conversation without interrupting excessively? So, so our description of it 
is descriptive, but our understanding of it goes beyond just a list of symptoms. So our understanding is that ADHD is a problem, what we call executive functions of the brain. And the executive functions of the brain are how the brain organizes the whole flow of information coming into you and what you do and how you process and let go of all that information. So go ahead. I see. Well, what I was just going to ask is, um, ADHD, is that a um, um, something that you're born with? Is it something that you acquire because of your experiences in life or things that happened to you earlier in life? How, how do you get it? So our best understanding is with almost everything in psychiatry and mental health, there's at least some of each. There's, there's sort of both nature and nurture, but ADHD is one of the disease entities that's most strongly genetic in nature. So the hereditability, and that's is factors about 0.8, which is strong as the hereditary influence over height, for example. So if you have tall parents, you're likely to be tall. But again, there's some people who weren't. And if you, you know, we know that kids who grew up during World War II and were starved, you know, had measurably smaller heights with adults. So with, with ADHD, there's a very strong genetic component, um, but there are probably other early life factors and probably a few environmental factors can that may shape how robustly that shows up as an adult. Well, and it's interesting because his father, and I forget his first name, but uh, his, his father, uh, Grandpa Trump, or, or Daddy Trump, he was built the same way that Donald is, um, I think, from what I've heard of the report. What do you know about that? I mean, I think on the AD. I mean, at, at Fred Trump, Donald's father, was at the very least a successful businessman and at least conducted some areas of his life in a, you know, accomplished things. And Donald Trump, in contrast, I mean, not that he didn't achieve high levels of societal success, absolutely no question about that, but very, I mean, I, I don't think anyone can identify a single character or their single single realm of his life where he succeeded on his own merits. So in the business realm, he had failure after, fa I mean, one daddy shoveled in tens of millions of dollars to begin with. He started in daddy's business. And then every time he had a significant failure, daddy shoveled tens of millions more into his business. Um, so even in areas that he has enthusiasm for, or if you'd say, well, you know, even if you don't like him, he was successful in stacking our whole judicial system in our country with right-wing judges. But that's not something he did. That's something Mitch McConnell created the openings for. The Federal Society handed him a list. He just signed his name at the bottom. He took credit for it and still continues to take credit for it and is even given credit for it by the conservative base. But those um, things that he actually did in an organized fashion. So, so I'm not sure whether how much ADHD was in his father or his mother. I mean, he speaks very little about his mother. So we, we don't know a lot about. That's a good point. I, I never heard him say anything about, about her like or dislike or mother's day or anything. Uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, so in his case, he uh, is is does is lying part of that is is can that be a, a symptom of so one of the things I've written about and I, I have a few 
I have 100 articles on medium.com, most of them on Trump and ADHD and different aspects of it. I think we need to be really careful when we describe lying. So I'd say there's three types of untruths that Donald Trump tells. One are just what I would call ADD untruths, like when he mentioned, oh, to get rid of the coronavirus, you can inject bleach under your skin or shine bright lights on it. I don't think he was consciously saying, you should go out there and do this, because when he tells people to do things, those are simple three-word sentences like liberate Michigan or lock her up. You know, when he gives an order, it's short and simple. So people with ADHD, again, one of the symptoms is impulsively blurting things out. They're not thinking, they're not processing it, they're not censoring themselves. So a lot of his ramblings, I think, are pretty clearly untrue, but I don't think they were intentionalized. And then I divide intentional untruths in two other dimensions. One are what I call reflected lies, where someone clearly thought about it ahead of time and lied. So there's, you know, he, he clearly lied about some of the meetings his son had with the Russians before the 2016 election. Things we know multiple people documented happened and he came up with an elaborate story. And then there's a, a third category, which I call reflexive lies. And that is when you're caught doing something bad, you immediately make up a story. And a, and a common ADHD scenario is, guy's working late maybe he's having a beer after work with his friends and he forgets his wife's birthday you know he comes home late and she says why did you forget my birthday and he knows why he's late she knows probably why he's late but he makes up an elaborate story oh there was so much traffic on the highway and there's a crash and there was you know people stopped for miles around so I mean, it's an elaborate lie but it's a reflexive impulse to avoid responsibility or guilt and that's it's not unique to ADHD, but many people with ADHD run into a problem because they've done so many things that were sort of out of sync with what people around them expected. And they don't want to get caught. They don't want to be blamed. They don't want to feel rotten for doing that. But then often their family environment, their society, whatever, and their own reason, trained them sort of to come up with elaborate reflexive lies. So again, I'm not saying reflexive lies are good, but I think there's a different level of intent to mislead or deceive than with the reflective lies when you've thought about it ahead of time. And I think both of those are different from just blurting out stupid, untrue things. And I think the vast majority, you know, Trump was, the fact chapters, you know, more than 20,000 lies during his four years in office. I think the majority of those were just blatant, untrue, unthought-out things. Again, not great, and particularly not great in a president, but a little different than you know, Nixon lying about Watergate or something like that. Exactly. Um, is the fact that 525,000 people have died from COVID and he disavows any blame, but he's got to, or maybe not, uh, you, you tell me, at some level, does he understand the the scope of what he helped to create in this country as far as so many people dying? Does, that, does he have a remorse? So, so, that's, so that's a good example of where I'm actually not completely comfortable speculating. So again, with the ADHD, it's, you can't deny he has it. I mean, it's based on objective facts how much he's a narcissist as well is harder to know because that sort you need to know what he's really thinking and considering inside 
clearly he bungled a lot of the COVID response, sort of minimizing it and not wanting testing to be too prominent because the numbers, quote, looked bad, you know, getting rid of departments like the whole department that's designed to protect us against pandemic contagious diseases because, and part of it is an ADD thing that something that's off in the future is so easy to discount if you have ADHD. What's in front of you becomes all important and what you're interested in becomes all important. So what's, what's important isn't necessarily important. So with Trump, maybe some people who know him better really know what's going on inside, but I don't know to what extent on many of these issues, he's just completely oblivious and really not, yeah, 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 there's a pandemic going out there, yeah, people are dying, and not really tuned in, or whether he's really genuinely not caring, which would mean yeah, 500 million died, but they're all schmucks and they're old people and most of them didn't vote for me. So the first would be a more ADHD and the second would be more narcissism. And you can certainly have both, but I'm not willing to say I know for sure how much of each of his things that he's failed that he had failed on in his administration were due to ADHD and how much were due to narcissism. If he were to walk into your office and you were to sit down and have a conversation with him, and uh, and he outlaid all of the things that he's done, and and all of the the lies that he's told, and the things that and how he behaves. Um, would you would you tell what would you tell him? Would you tell him you need to be under care? I think it would be better for him, and I mean. Right now, maybe he has potentially less damage to inflict on the world or the people, but I, I think he definitely should have been under better care for his ADHD. One of, and I, I, I'm willing to go in a political direction, I can focus more on the ADHD, but I'd say separate from being sure he has ADHD among other mental health issues, we can also be sure that he was taking stimulant medication some of the days he was in office. And that's a pretty provocative statement. Why can I say that? Um, there's certain times, particularly when he had to give big impressive speeches like the State of the Union speech or his 4th of July when he had the parade of the military or when he announced the um, slaying of al-Baghdadi where he knew he'd have a huge national audience and he wanted to look more professional, more presidential. And measurably, if you look at those speeches, comparing them to speeches that very same week when he gave to less prestigious groups, um, if you count his gestures and moving about, his gestures are reduced to a third of what they were at his baseline level. The focus of his speech in terms of either being able to coherence, you know, what does one sentence logically follow another is it just random garbage, is measurably better. And, the, and so both of those signs are suggestive that he was taking medication because with someone with ADHD, if they're really focusing on sitting still and sitting on their hands, their words are even more out of control. On the other hand, if they're focusing on thinking of what they're saying, they're even more likely to be hyperactive. So if they're both getting better, that's strongly suggestive. But the real kicker, we have direct physiologic evidence. If you look at those pictures, and, and I can give references to them, his pupils are about four or five times bigger during those speeches when he is behaving better verbal control and better physical control. And some of the very few agents that could do that are stimulant medication. So he was taking stimulant medication to reduce his ADZ symptoms to look more presidential. Um, and when you look at it from that standpoint, 
What was that? Sorry. When you look at it from that standpoint, it is a little frightening that, that there are people that were around him who understood and could diagnose the issue that he was under, but still he managed to stay president, which is, which is a whole political thing that I don't think we need to get into um, at this point. But I, I do, I do want to ask you more about uh, ADHD and that, that is how many of us are walking around with this thing. So our, our, you know, precise numbers are hard to tell, but we think right now that, and some of it depends on how many criteria you need to fulfill but of kids, something like six to eight percent, maybe even 10 percent of kids meet a full rigorous definition of ADHD. We know about a third of kids do seem to outgrow it by adulthood, but the other two thirds, so one third continues unabatedly full formed ADHD, a middle third gets a little better, but clearly has substantial symptoms, and another third seems to largely outgrow it. That would suggest that somewhere in the range of three to six percent of the adult population have ADHD. And what we know is that at most two, three million have ever been diagnosed or been treated for it. So, so we are missing tens or we are missing millions of Americans who almost certainly have ADHD and don't have a clue about it. And there's also what I would call a cohort effect. So we don't think it's was rarer in the old days, um, but that we had much less awareness of it. So, you know, most of the 20 and 30 year olds I treat have a, at least some understanding of ADHD, even if they oversimplify it to mean it's, oh, there's a squirrel and that's it. I mean, this is something that has a, again, much broader range of impact on people's lives. Most people older than I am, so most people in their 60s and 70s don't have any clue that ADHD could even exist in adults. Um, exactly. And you know, in, in terms of, I evaluated a 99-year-old last week, and undeniably, going back to childhood, he gives a history of a whole range of ADHD symptoms. A bright guy, but someone who had about 15 different careers. He had dozens of different relationships, never had a long-lasting marriage. So ADHD can affect social life. It can affect academic um, success that can affect career trajectories now is it is it um is there a difference between just being a little flighty and and wanting to to uh, uh change jobs all the time because you just can't find the right, right one or the the marriage just doesn't seem to work because she's she was a she was nicer before we got married and all that is is that a major component to uh uh, dysfunction in, in in those people that that have ADHD. So, so there certainly can be lots of reasons for multiple marriages or switching careers, and I don't think every you know Hollywood actress to pick on one field of work who's had seven or eight wives or, or husbands. Sorry, no, I don't think all of them have ADHD. So there can be a multitude of reasons for jump. But I mean, if someone's jumping around both in their work life and in their social life, that's a tip off to be looking for ADHD. And we know, you know, the rates of divorce are two to three times higher in ADHD compared to the general population. We know the rates of not completing school, of leaving a job, of winding up in jail are two to three times the, the rate of the background population for someone with ADHD. They're just getting off track all the time. If I was concerned about myself or a family member, 
that uh, I was was exhibiting some of these symptoms and they were to come to you, how do you evaluate them? So the evaluation I mean, is, is two parts. One is part of it is watching what they're actually doing when they're talking to you. I mean, if they're saying I'm distracted all the time, but they can talk in coherent paragraphs and aren't distracted by the birds outside or the doorbell ringing or so. And, and my experience, different mental health workers, some are good at really listening to the content, but, but have trouble paying attention to how it, the, how it's being displayed as well. So it's important to listen to the content and make sure the history they're giving is consistent with ADHD. It's also important to look at what they're doing at the same time. So I, I mentioned some of the criteria for ADHD for adults. One of the other criteria is that symptoms had to have started before the age of 12. And, and jumping back to Trump to pick on him, we do have scantier data of what he was doing in his earlier life, but he was a bully, he was picking on people. He was sent to military school for more discipline in a family where that wasn't a tradition. You know, some families send all their boys off to military school. His other brother wasn't, older brother wasn't sent there. This was specifically chosen because he was acting out. He wasn't listening to rules. He wasn't following instructions. He needed more structure, more discipline. And that translated into, into his life in a, in a really big way. And uh, all the things that, that he's done, a lot of them are, are based on that. So, uh, but I wanted to ask, ask you about, uh, um, it affects, it affects people's lives so that they, they have trouble uh, maintaining jobs and that sort of thing. What kind of medications, what, what steps do you take when you, when you have identified this? And first of all, let me ask you, is this, would you classify this as a disease? Is this just a mental thing? What, what, what the hell is it? So officially, again, I mentioned the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual that organized psychiatry uses and is recognized by the other mental health fields as our official list of mental health diseases. So by that criteria, it's officially a disease. I would probably veer more towards the activists or the neurodiversity community who, are, who would like to identify this as a condition that certainly can be, I mean, lifelong, it can be impairing, it may have strengths attached to it as well. Um, but whether we should identify every difference as a disease, so, so part of the, the reason for the disease is it causes both distress and um, dysfunction. So that's part of it, and ADHD can certainly do that, but it doesn't have to do it in everyone. I mean, so some part of our disease classification is a social judgment. And I'm, I mean, so the story, and I, I refer to this in my book when I talk about stigma. When I was born, I was mentally ill. And then in 1972 or three, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, the DSM changed and removed homosexuality from our mental disorders. So I was cured. Um, <laughs> I'm being a little flippant here, but it's showing, I mean, we think that there are biological factors which lead to sexual orientation in a society that's virulently homophobic. Um, you know, people with gay people, lesbian people had higher rates of a whole bunch of depression, suicide, other things. We don't think now that most of those are tied intrinsically to 
homosexuality, but to society's pressure. Um, you could argue not being able to biologically have your own family may be a dysfunction, although there are clearly many gay men who had sex with women and had their own families. And I'm, I'm a gay father, so it's hard now in our society to say that there's dysfunction connected with it. And maybe some of this dysfunction we see in ADHD is a dysfunction of our society, that we need to find more inclusive ways of teaching kids who aren't going to listen when you're lecturing to them for an hour or providing more physical outlets for them to do things or to, I mean, now compared to 40 years, I mean, 40 years ago, the, the ideal career was find a good employer and working there for 50 years and then retiring. Yep. In today's world, that's much less common. So in some ways, our whole society is moving in somewhat more ADHD directions. So but, but measurably, so, so one of the other ways though, ADHD does cause dysfunction. ADHD in a kid, if you diagnose it as a group, those kids on average are gonna live 10 years shorter than a kid without ADHD. So this is something that isn't just affecting career, school, relationships, this actually kills people. You know, 10 years off your lifespan is as big an effect as major depression on your lifespan or diabetes on your lifespan. Exactly. You know, I, a couple, a couple things. First of all, congratulations on being a father. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And also, you know, in the, you, you're, you're younger than I, almost everybody these days is younger than I, but back in the sixties and seventies, there was no such thing, at least in my high school or anybody that I knew, there was no such thing as anybody uh, coming out and saying that they were gay in the sixties and seventies. That's changed. And I'm, I'm very pleased and very happy that that's changed so that people can live their lives more authentically and the way they are. I have, I have a good friend who's a, who's a gay man, and I asked him, and this is a little sidetracked, but I just wanted to go there for just a moment if we could. Because I asked him, um, because there are people out there actually walking around on, in the planet who believe that uh, being your sexual orientation, regardless of what it is, is a choice. And, and I was talking with him one time and I said, well, when did you find out that you had the, that you like men? And he said, well, um, it's interesting because my dad used to get playboy. And when Playgirl first came out, because, um, my, my dad got playboy, my mom reacted with that by getting playgirl. Mm -hmm. So I would go, you know, uh, be using the bathroom or I'd be in the bedroom or whatever. And I and I had a choice. I could pick which one I wanted to look at. He always picked the playgirl because he liked the, He liked the images of the guys much more than he liked the images of the women. And I said, well, was that a choice? And he said, no, that was a feeling. And so so from my standpoint, I don't believe that it's a choice. Doctor, you're the doctor. You tell me. I mean, with sexual orientation, and I, I mean, some of this, again, is there's social elements, and I, I'd say particularly now we're seeing a much larger percent of the population being binary or not even choosing what gender they are, much less what gender they're attracted to. But I'd say the historical data suggests pretty clearly, maybe more strongly for men than women, that orientation to other men or to women arose pretty early in childhood and 
very little seem to be able to change it. You may act differently. I mean, if you're in a prison population, completely straight men often, you know, have sex with other men because that's all, but that didn't make, that behavior didn't make them gay. And, and you know, when the question of choice or when did you choose to be like this comes up, if it's a straight person asking me, I always flip it around and ask, oh, so when did you choose to be straight? You know, were you actually sitting there thinking, hmm, I, is that guy really hot or is that woman really hot? You didn't think that. You were attracted to one thing or the other. I saw lots of guys in jeans when I was growing up. Not one of them, not, not near one of them, I thought was really cute. I saw lots of girls in jeans, and I thought they were really hot. But that's but that's just me, and that and that's okay. That every everybody has a right to to. Um, and I'm so glad that our. So let me ask you: Do you, are you? We're still got a ways to go to get to, to get where we could be completely uh, and and totally equal and free. Um, do you feel like we're making progress? Oh, I, I'd say we've definitely made progress. Could some of that progress be reversed or changed? I mean, people were worried, and, and Trump certainly pushed back on transgender rights and other issues. You know, Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, did a strong job of promoting for women's rights and gay and lesbian rights. The State Department under Pompeo and his predecessors you know, stepped back from that and actually tacitly supported the Russians or African countries that, that discriminated against their gay minorities. But I think overall in my lifetime, we've, we've moved hugely in a good direction. And I, I mean, one little anecdote is my husband, I can remember 20 years ago, he was completely convinced we'll never see gay marriage in his lifetime. Absolutely convinced that, that it wouldn't be legalized or accepted. And now it's the law of the land in the U.S. and dozens of other countries. And that probably, even with the current Supreme Court, won't be taken away. But, but even that it's a question that could be shows you know, that this is an ongoing struggle or fight we're going to have to deal with. Well, from my understanding, and... Um... Once, once, once a law is enacted, once we've gone someplace, the Supreme Court cannot reverse gay marriage. It just can't. I mean, how many, how many, how many people would that affect in our country in a very adverse way? Uh, they, they just, if they, if they were to, I, I know they could, <laughs> but if they well, were to, you could argue, I mean, you could say the same about abortion. I, again, I know, I know you don't want to get too political, but. You know, abortion and your access to it affects the lives of millions of people. And I think this court has actually shown some significant willingness to restrict that again or more extremely than it's been in the past. Right. And the only thing that I, that I say about uh, uh, abortion is that it should be legal, safe, and rare. And the way you make it rare is education. You get the kids the education so that and the tools that they yeah. can use so that they don't get pregnant, and uh, because it destroys more than just their life and the baby's life, it, it it's a safe, legal, and rare. That's my that's my position. Yeah, and I echo the education part because yes, the abortion rates are highest among many of the red states where sex education is also discouraged. I mean, it's 
Do you, do you remember I had to laugh? I was thinking the other day of the, do you remember the, uh, about, it was about 10 or 15 years ago that the uh, religious right, and I'm not badging religion here, and what I'm saying is that you can't defeat human passion with a, a piece of paper that you write on. Because they had, they had the abstinence pledges. Mm-hmm. Remember those? Yep. When the when the kids would uh, when the girl would talk to her dad and you know, she would sign an abstinence pledge and then after she came home pregnant the, because she didn't have the tools to be able to deal with it because he didn't because she's never going to have sex it, it just it's it's crazy it drives me crazy it doesn't work and our government you know during the Trump years still continued to fund abstinence only sex education programs. And you're you're a, a, psych, a psychologist and or a, excuse me a a uh, uh, I, psychiatrist and therapist. Psychiatrist. That's that's what it is because you can prescribe medications and yeah. stuff. But uh, um, in in your view and in the view of mainstream psychology, is it possible to flip somebody from a gay person back to a heterosexual person? I haven't seen any evidence. There is. I mean, again, this may sound sexist, and whether, but there's some evidence that maybe sexual identity is a little more fluid in some set of women than in men. But particularly, the data on men has been pretty rigid that you have an identity, and you may or may not feel comfortable sharing it or exploring it. But that's who you're sexually attracted to. Well, you know, it's been my experience for whatever it's worth that uh, I agree with you, men, men are much more rigid and, and there are reasons for that. Um, and, but women have sometimes have got, they must, I don't know if they mistake, but they're, they're much more, they're much more interested in, in the connection between two human beings necessarily, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'd say, we're we're oversimplifying, but that's okay because I think there's a kernel of truth in there. there. And that's yeah. that's all right. I live by oversimplifying. That makes my life. So I wanted to ask you, um, getting back to H H D back to what we were talking about, <laughs> which is uh, H D whatever it is, the four one. ADHD. The ADHD. Thank you. If you have it, when you when you recognize, when you look at the symptoms and you're wondering why you're behaving the way you're behaving, and um, so you, you, you look at the symptoms and you recognize and you self-diagnose yourself with, I may have ADHD, can you manage that without medication? So for years... The, the experts on ADHD said the mo- most robust improvement we can see with any treatment approach has been the stimulant medications. So those are medications like Adderall and Ritalin. And to date, the most robust measurable impact on ADHD comes from medications. On the other hand, we've also seen growing, particularly in the last decade or so, a lot of behavioral and cognitive behavioral strategies for helping people with decreasing their distractibility, creating more structure, figure out how to resist impulses or recover from impulses. So there's clearly therapeutic approaches that can help as well. And for almost nobody is medication, I mean, one medication isn't ever curative or completely getting rid of all the ADHD. ADHD is almost certainly much more a wiring issue, 
in a simple neurochemistry issue. Um, but it can certainly markedly reduce symptoms. And there are certainly kids who would not have graduated or weren't graduating who could complete their homework, take care of their tasks, and perform well on you know, their standard tests and grades to move on to the next level once they were on medication. And there, so are, there are also medications other than the stimulants, which have help as well, although probably as a group, people don't respond quite as robustly to those. Do people, is, is the very nature of the disease or condition, whichever camp you're in as far as what you want to call it, does the disease itself or the condition itself prevent you from self-identifying that you have it? So one of the things I often tell people when we're trying to see whether medications are effective or not is that your own ability to be inattentive to what's going on with yourself makes it sometimes harder to know whether you're improving or not. An example, I you know, say 20 times a day, you go into the next room and completely forgot what you went in there for. You know, yes, all of us do that occasionally. But you're not paying attention. You think, oh, I do that six, seven times a day, which is pretty bad. So you get a medicine that's so good, it cuts that in half. It drops it from 20 to 10. But now you're paying more attention because you're on that medication. You're thinking, I was doing six or seven before, now I'm at 10. In your head, you've gotten worse when you've actually gotten better. And I've cooked the numbers so it works. But absolutely inattentiveness to your own body, to your own actions, to your own behavior is a barrier. But I'd say most people with ADHD are running up against enough either societal feedback or the teacher saying, Johnny, you weren't paying attention, or you know, people calling them space case or ditzy or something else, or why are you always interrupting us? That most people at least have some awareness, but not always. I mean, I had a couple of years ago, I treated an executive. He was in his early 50s. He had worked, he had started three startups made them million dollar companies and <clears throat> was fired or left under difficult situations because he was a much better entrepreneur and starting up than managing people. His third company now was, you know, he still had plenty of money, but his third company was falling apart. And he came in because of his explosive temper. That's what he identified as the problem. And when he was talking, I noticed a hurry, you know, he was distracted. He was going off on tangents. He was fidgety. He talked about a whole host of ADHD symptoms. I presented to him that you seem to have ADHD going on. And he said, no, I think this is just what's going on now, the stress of the company. And I said, go back and talk to your family members. And, I, and he went back. He had seven brothers and sisters, grew up in Georgia. And they said, no, Joe, you were like this every day of your life. And, it came, and what he said to me is, here I thought, I was just an asshole and now it turns out to be it's ADHD and I'm you know, sorry for the language and not that everyone with ADHD is an AOL, but again, yeah. that's one of the ways behavior can, can manifest and, and people can ascribe, you know, colloquial terms to it that, that are inaccurate and not that helpful. So, so I'm going to pull it back to my book a little bit. Lots of people were upset that I would dare bring Trump into a discussion of you know, a serious mental health problem. But even a few people on the right have said that they appreciated it because it was much more 
both accurate and informative and helpful to know this guy has a condition. That's why he's just rambling in his, you know, uh, press conferences. That's why he's doing this and this, rather than him being, as his first secretary of state said, an effing moron or a three-year-old baby. Or so, so it gets to one other element. A lot of the ADHD focus focuses on the attention, the concentration, sort of the cognitive aspects of it, but about two-thirds of people with ADHD do have emotional dysregulation as well. Again, regulation of emotions is one of the executive functions. You don't want to be blowing up at the slightest provocation. You want to save your anger for something that's worth it instead of screaming at a reporter who asks you a completely normal question or blowing up X, Y, or Z. Um, and, and emotional regulation or dysregulation in ADHD is one of the most widely neglected symptoms of it, and particularly in the official DSM-5 criteria. There's not a single mention of emotional dysregulation. Impulsivity, yes. Inattentive, yes. Um, hyperactivity, but not emotional regulation. Now, do, do people that, that have this that don't really, that aren't really aware, do they, do they blame other people for the reaction that they get from other people? That can be one route. I mean, I mean, there's, there tends to be a lot of blame involved, whether it's self-blame, thinking I'm lazy, crazy, or stupid is one of the older ADD books. I'm not quite parsing the title right, but because they're getting used to being told, or, you know, as Donald Trump, you know, is a perfect example of blaming anything that goes wrong or anything bad, he's, he projects his sins on, you know, sleepy Joe Biden, lazy, you know, lying Ted Cruz. And almost always the things he picks on are traits he himself has or that, you know, that he's concerned about being perceived as having. Well, since, <laughs> since I got you, doctor, I got to ask you real quick. And this is a purely political question. Uh, so you can you can defer and not answer it if you want to. But the people like Ted Cruz, who when he was running for president and the president was saying that uh, his father was part of the Kennedy assassination and that his wife was doing some other stuff and that he was uh, lying Ted Cruz and stuff. And now he is a backer of the president. What kind of mental disease does he have? I'd like to describe for him. I mean, I'm less worried. I mean, I would say looking at Ted Cruz as he, or Mitch McConnell, they're opportunists. They're willing to you know, go with whatever source of power to achieve whatever goals they want. I, I tend not to agree with most of their goals, but I'm not, I don't think that Mitch McConnell really believes you know, Trump was a wonderful president. I mean, it's pretty clear he doesn't. I don't think Ted Cruz believes it. He might. And there are a few, you know, maybe the Marjorie Taylor Greens or uh, whatever gets and I mean, there may be some who really genuinely believe those are the ones I'm more worried about. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's dismaying that there's 70 million Americans. I mean, a, a poll done last year, so three years into his presidency, believed that when I was talking about emotional dysregulation, something I think was 61% of Republicans thought Trump had an even calm temperament. <laughs> something like more than half believed he was honest. Now, now that, that I find harder to reconcile because the data, I mean, you could 
I could understand it if you say he's dishonest, but he's doing it for a good cause or he's X, Y, or Z, but to, to absolutely refute the data you see in front of your own eyes. I mean, it, it, and people, other people have used this analogy, but it reminded when I was little, the emperor's new clothes seemed one of the most far-fetched and silly fairy tales. Cause like, come on, an emperor walking around naked and no one's gonna comment on it except a little boy who finally says he has no clothes. We've been living through it. And even people shouting he has no clothes and pointing out he has no clothes and half the voting population, I think it's less than half the population is saying, no, no, he has beautiful, and I'm sure they're golden clothes. <laughs> I have a friend that uh, is a uh, ardent Trump supporter. He's also a uh, um, evangelical Christian. And I asked him, I said, okay, so you're going to have to explain this to me because I truly don't get it because of your theological beliefs and who and what you believe as a religion. And yet he's been married three times. We know he's had, he's paid off two mistresses at least. And, uh, and so how can you continue to support a guy like that? And he said, well, he was a great businessman. And I said, no, he wasn't. He was a marketer. He marketed himself. He did not have, he didn't run, he didn't have a board of directors. He didn't have a bunch of folks that uh, he had to answer to or to create this great company. He was a marketer. I went bankrupt five times or six times, depending on how you parse it. And yeah. had clever lawyers who wrote it so that when he went bankrupt, everyone else got stiffed, but he still had money. But it's he true. wasn't a lawyer. He didn't engineer that. He just paid smart lawyers to do that for him. So again, that's that's renting out the executive functions he himself couldn't manage. By the way, we're talking with uh, John Cruz. He's the author of the book that uh, the book is entitled. There it is. Recognizing Adult ADHD, What Donald Trump Can Teach Us About Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So in in, in the book, Doc, what what uh, um, what can Donald Trump, Trump teach us? I just assume he'd go away, but he doesn't appear like he's going to. So what can he teach us? Well, well I mean, my... my my book is sort of three books in one. One was using Donald Trump to tell us about ADHD, to inform people who never would pick up a book about psychology or mental health, but might wonder, you know, why is this guy acting this way? And then learn more about it themselves. So if they had it, and I, I have a new 81-year-old friend who read the book and identified ADHD himself, had never been diagnosed before, but it clearly fits or recognize it in their coworkers or children or families. Again, this is common enough that everyone knows someone in their lives with ADHD. 30 years ago, we could have picked a you know, football star or a rock star or someone, and most people would know what they're like. In our, in our narrower media worlds today, there's so few figures that if you start describing behavior, everyone knows what you're talking about. Trump is one of those. So he's there every day displaying robust ADHD symptoms, and even, so I say he's the poster boy for adult ADHD, and he does have other issues as well, but he's not only the poster boy for adult ADHD, he's the poster boy for adult ADHD that was in front of our face every day, and almost nobody was talking about the ADHD. They talked about the symptoms, they talked about how chaotic his administration was, but they wouldn't, and they talk about his narcissism, and whether he was a sociopath, but they weren't even discussing this 
diagnosis which he clearly, concretely, objectively fulfills. So we need, so my thought was bring him in to educate people about ADHD. Again, I also use ADHD to explain a host of things like his excessive telling on truth and other things that don't make sense if you're trying, if you think he's just a narcissist. A narcissist doesn't do 101 stupid things every day that, that counteract the image they're trying to create of being smart and in charge and organized and efficient ruler. And yet he was always shooting himself in the foot. That's not what a narcissist does. It's what a narcissist with ADHD might do because they're not paying attention to where their gums pointed, shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> we, you know, it killed me because uh, I never thought as long as I live in, and I remember, I remember when John Kennedy was killed. I remember when, you know, and so I remember every president from John Kennedy forward. Mm -hmm. And I never thought that I would see the day when we would have an actual president of the United States where there's footage of him on WWF, the worldwide wrestling federation, uh, tackling somebody and, and playing the part of, of somebody, I can't imagine how uh, somebody that was a serious politician would do or a serious about governing or doing anything would do something like that. What, what do you think was going through his mind when that when he did that little thing? I, I'm, again, I'm not sure what's ever going, I mean, what's usually going through his mind is how this is going to improve his brand or draw in money or draw in viewers. I mean, I, I was paying more attention to sort to me, Trump is the embodiment of a trend. And so the other part of my book, the third half, um, is that our whole society is getting more ADD-like because of social media, because of how we eat poorly and sleep poorly and don't exercise enough and all these other trends. And that he was both unimaginable in a non-ADHD age. I mean, if you think 150 years ago, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, it's, it's only a few minutes. Lincoln was criticized for giving a speech that was that short. If Trump or someone else tried to give the Gettysburg Address today, people are boring, you know, what's on my Twitter feed? So he, Trump's presidency is only imaginable in an ADHD world where we're paying less attention to things, that we're responding immediately, viscerally to what's emotionally invisibly exciting and not thinking about the context, not thinking about the history. And Trump is pushing our whole society in a more, ever more ADHD direction because you had to respond to him immediately because he'd be onto something else bizarre and outrageous. You know, whether you supported him and you were you know, boosting his tweets or whether you're condemning him for how stupid or inflammatory or whatever you felt they were, you had to respond like that because he'd make three more in the next hour. So he was pushing us all to be a more ADD-like society. You know, one of the things that um, that I put on my um, tagline for the uh, my independence report is uh, declaring our freedom from hate, division, and fear. He seems to revel in hate, division, and fear. Is that a byproduct of, of his disease, or is that just because, and I'll say it, you said it, I'll say it again, but just because he's an asshole. Yes, so again, I think ADHD, people with ADHD are, are more likely to respond without thinking and to say things. You know, I think, you know, Nixon, 
once we've listened to his tapes, was clearly at least as racist as Trump was. But he had the smarts, if you call them smarts or political smarts, to say it in private, to kiss, you know. He was anti-Semitic towards Kissinger, you know, who was his favorite Jew. But he didn't say any of that in public. So part of Trump's divisiveness is his, I mean, well, part of it, I think he can't control it, but part of him also revels in it because he's, he, I don't think he was elected to try to run the country. He didn't, he wasn't even expecting to win. I mean, he did this to enhance his brand and that's how he governed. He didn't have policies. I mean, is America first a policy? Were there really people yelling, no, no, America fourth or fifth? <laughs> or let's make America mediocre again? He, he, he wasn't elected with an agenda other than self-aggrandized Trump. They're still trying to get rid of the ADA, which is the um, uh, uh, the healthcare, uh, Obamacare, for lack of a better the um, and uh, it's unfortunate because they've never come up with a uh, a healthcare program themselves. All they're doing is bashing the the Democrats and, and yeah, I mean that shows how unconcerned they are with with healthcare policy. It's the Republicans. And no, being in the healthcare field, you see a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff going on, huh? Yeah, so, so yeah. all people with ADHD, I wouldn't say all people with ADHD are divisive, but I think it, it is a trait that can cause divisiveness. Um, not censoring yourself. You know, I've had patients who lost their jobs, and I have one person where I can identify three generations of ADHD and the, the, my patient's father lost his job during the, you know, the red scares of the 1950s because he was willing to, you know, he spoke out at several meetings and he wasn't a communist, but he spoke out in front of his friends who were, and that cost him his job because he, you know, couldn't bite his tongue or look the other way or not say something. Indeed, indeed. Dr. John uh, Cruz has been our guest today. Uh, by the way, if you can, they can pick up your book at Amazon. Um, it's got a nice big spread there on Amazon. And where else can they get it from? Any, every, everywhere? It's also on, it's not in any hard stores anywhere right now, but it's on Barnes and Noble. I mean, it's available as an audio book and uh, uh, electric book and hard copy book on Amazon. It's also available through independent bookstores, um, through there's an independent distributor who you can get it. Any bookstore can order it for you. And most public libraries are would be willing to download a copy and let you loan it from a, so don't even have to shell out money if you don't want. Well, that that is that is awesome. By the way, uh, if you if you'd like to go and talk to you specifically, uh, is there a website they can you can reference? So my website is drjohncruse.com. So it's K-R-U-S-E. So I guess it's on the screen there. Um, yes, sir. On, on medium.com, again, I have close to 100 articles for a year, 52 weeks in a row. I, I did a different, at each week, something about Trump and ADHD, and I never repeated content. So there are at least that many different aspects of ADHD, and Trump was a good embodiment or launching pad for discussing those. There are also for people who find Trump too toxic still, 
um, plenty of non-ADHD oriented or non-Trump ADHD oriented and some broader mental health topics and articles there as well. No, that's a, that's awesome. So John Cruz, uh, dot com, right? Dr. John Cruz. Dr. John Cruz. Okay. Dr. John Cruz.com. Yeah. And go, go there. And, uh, and we've, we've come to the end of our time together, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about, um, about your motives and what you're, what you're after here and, and uh, give you a soapbox to say what's on your mind about ADHD in general and, and how, how we can get out of this mess. Yeah. I, I, it's sort of in the book in the, and I alluded to it, but I got interested in ADHD in the nineties when we didn't know it existed in adults. And I started seeing patients who, if they were seven year old boys, there would have been no question. And I still continue to see, even in the mental health field, people who are not recognizing ADHD, even when it's right in front of us. Again, Trump is a wonderful example of it. And again, this is something that's serious and it's treatable. So that makes it a, I mean, like you couldn't ask for a better disease in that regard. Something that's both treatable, common, and it's gonna you know, improve. We need to identify it more often when it's there because that can drastically improve lives. And again, if you were befuddled, traumatized by the last four years, understanding is always a tool for helping get a grasp of it rather than just being overwhelmed. And there's, there's more specific tools or approaches that can help with that. And then being aware that our whole society is moving more in this direction. I, I sometimes call it that, that we have taken a cultural appropriation of the ADHD community without asking for their consent. And we're making our whole world more chaotic, more impulsive, do we really want to be doing that? And if we don't, there are ways we can stop some of these feedback loops that are pushing us that way. Thanks. I appreciate it very much, Dr. John. It's, it's been great having you here. And uh, I, I'll, ju I'll just say that uh, now that he's been voted out of office, uh, books like yours are even doubly important because he's toying with the idea of playing politics and playing kingmaker and perhaps running again. And that just can't be allowed. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. It, we have enough mental illness in this country. We don't need somebody at the top with that. I assume you agree with that position. Yeah. I mean, my ex, I, again, I don't think he's even doing, I mean, he's doing it to enhance his brand. I mean, he's not, he doesn't have a specific policy and it's not, more or less conservative x y or z it, it's this is purely brand extension if you like his brand and want to keep giving him money i guess fine but that has so little to do with governing and running a country or or even a political party that and you know you know what a classic classic i gotta go but a classic example of that is after the election was over and he lost and but he said he didn't lose. And of course, he put out this, you know, that it was fake news and that he was robbed and all this. And then you could go and you could uh, donate to the cause. Well, to, uh, upwards of two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of donations were given to him to his nonprofit that he doesn't have to keep separate from himself. So he then could pocket that two hundred and fifty million dollars. That's what he was after the whole time, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know if he was, again, I'm not sure how well he plans ahead. I mean, he's certainly willing to profit from any 
disaster. But, you know, this is a guy who he was telling us the election was going to be stolen. But look at how disorganized and chaotic his own response to trying to resurrect or steal back the election. I mean, if, if he were an effective politician, if that were Mitch McConnell or maybe even Ted Cruz, they may have been successful. And You're right. But this guy is so ineffective. Again, he lacks executive functions to carry out any job effectively. But he has plenty of people to shore him up to. If you need to know more about ADHD, go get John's book, or Dr. John's book, which again is... Recognizing Adult ADHD, what Donald Trump can teach us about detention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Because if you if you know somebody, if you are related to somebody who dis displays the symptoms and has yet been undiagnosed, it can benefit your life and their life tremendously if they get diagnosed and get and get taken care of in the, in the appropriate way. Correct? Thank you. You summed it up nicely. Oh, very nice. Thank you so much, sir. And again, Dr. John Cruz has been our guest. Uh, get his book and go to his website, which is drjohncruz.com. You can find out all about him there. I'd order the book from his website. I think he makes more money that way, but that's just me. So any in any... <laughs> now, I think you, you're interested in getting the information out. Right? Yeah, I'm interested in getting the information out. And people look at the Amazon. I mean, I'm happy even if you take it from the library, borrow it. So if the word gets out, and and unfortunately, I am one of the things I said for year four years was Trump's one accomplishment in office was full time employment for all mental health professionals. I, I'm not looking for new patients to treat or work with, but again, I'm happy to try to educate people about ADHD. Thanks. We need as much education as we can from a from a source like yours which is unimpeachable so i appreciate you coming on the show today sir we look forward to doing that stay right where you are i got to do this and then i'll be right back to you okay hey and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end hey pretty cool hey don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts and remember take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.